0: Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and I'm really, really excited to have this conversation because it's like one of those services and, and projects that I've felt like, why isn't anybody doing that? And then, of course, someone brilliant already is. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Ariana Alexander Sefri. Yes,
1: that that's right. right. Thank you for having me. Okay.
0: It's wonderful to have you. And I'd love to talk about Spoke and the work that you're doing there and and, uh, eventually, and I'll still start us off like I always do with a very, very light, easy question to let you kind of introduce yourself as you see fit. Um, Who are you, Ariana Alexander-Safri?
1: It's a nice question because it doesn't make me feel like I need to talk about just work. Um, But who am I? Um, So I am an entrepreneur. So I'm the kind of person who I like to build things from nothing. Um, And I'm the founder of a mental health startup. Um, We're an app, we're called Spoke. And essentially, we translate mental wellness tools, but through music. We work with some of the UK's most talented lyricists, poets, spoken word artists, um, producers, songwriters, etc. And they are trained by a team of scientists. And then we create this kind of new genre of sound, which is incredible music, as well as being beneficial for your mental health. Um, and I've done that for two and a half years. This is my second company. And I'm just very passionate about Solving, helping to solve this global systemic, painful uh, epidemic around mental and emotional health, um, and I'm hoping that my work can just be one part of this network of change. Um, and apart from my work, I'm also I'm a dancer. I've danced my whole life, um, and yeah, I live in London, and I love to travel. I love to eat nice food, and. Um, And obviously, I love live music gigs, so I'm probably at a new gig every week.
0: (laughs) Ah, Beautiful. And and how did you come alive to the, or come like wake up to this uh, mental health crisis or the mental health situation, maybe in the in the world today? What what kind of brought you into that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I definitely didn't um, seek it, or you know, I I definitely sort of got led into it. I, I always I keep saying this word, and and people kind of think I'm a bit weird for saying this, but I keep saying I'm on an assignment to to do this, because that's exactly how it feels. It feels like I've been put on an assignment um i my first business was a well-being live music well-being company we did big events um and truthfully i lived in new york for some time i um did some work with like so far sounds um i became pretty obsessed with the the wellness kind of bubble that was growing and what you could do the multisensory effect you could create for people um things like soul cycle was starting to kind of grow and <clears throat> become very popular in new york then and my first company was in the world of wellness. So we did these live music events that also had yoga, meditation, and all this stuff. And truthfully, the business did really well. We had lots of big corporate clients. We were running big kind of 500-person events in London and in New York. And it was during running this company, I realized, gosh, this world of all of these mental wellness tools, they really do only attract same type of person. You kind of see this slightly older, very middle-class, kind of very white, vast majority female audience. And I was aware of that, but I didn't really think anything of it until in 2017, my younger brother lost one of his best friends to suicide. Um, And then sort of within that year, two of my friends actually lost their brothers to suicide as well. So I suddenly... Um, yeah, I I think I sudden, I, I think it sort of took, in that time, I think I was quite confused, to be honest, but I, this resentment grew in me and I started seeing that there were all of the, this culture that mental wellness is wrapped in, it just, Does not include so many people. So my brother and his friends, for example, they refused therapy, refused counselling. I had all of these, you know, tools coming out of my ears. And it's not the tools' fault. There's nothing wrong with mindfulness, meditation, coaching, CBT, all of this stuff. It's these are just practices that can help you metabolize emotion. Um, I realized that they were wrapped in this culture that so many people, and not just young men, there are so many people that just think, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. And I just became very angry about it. And I started to speak to a lot of psychologists and neuroscientists. And I got confirmation very quickly that yes, if people are able to build a mental wellness, a early stage preventative mental wellness habit, it will prevent crisis from happening. I got that, that. That is, there's evidence for that Li- nearly every clinical psychologist I've asked that question to has said yes. You know, you metabolize emotion, you prevent crisis from happening, and so what? I, I just, I guess, I thought, why do all of these early stage practices? Why do they look sound and feel the same? Like, why are they very yogi and they're very clinical? And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that it's it's exclusive. The way it's the way this it's become an industry, you know, the commodification of wellness has by default excluded a lot of people. Um, and it made me angry and that's mm. what set me onto building Spoke. And yeah, it's been, that's been, yeah, four years ago now.
0: Wow. I'm also, I'm also wondering about, cause what I'm hearing you speak to, it's like the different languages so that you can actually reach people and so that people might sort of open up to to something, and I was also wondering about the aspect of being a dancer because that's—I mean, I, I can relate to that. I, I, I am, or I was, or I used to be, and <laughs> and uh, it's just like that's also something around sort of understanding things through movement versus understanding things through talk, therapy, or or through and like music is, I think, a very interesting bridge between movement and and words in a way.
1: No, absolutely, and I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's movement and there's an embodied practice of well-being, which I think a lot of um, artists, musicians, dancers will do naturally because, you know, from a young age, we've learned how to use music as a tool to move our body. So we're quite literally creating that, that link between move mind body sound but what I think I've realized from all of this research these few years is there's a lot of intellectualization of our well-being you know there's a lot of practices and courses and tools and listen to this lecture and you're going to feel good and it's kind of it's logic it's thinking okay yeah that makes sense if I do that I'll be better okay cool yeah let me go through this sort of do these steps and then I'll feel better. And, and a lot of meditation practice has actually part of the way, I actually believe that part of the way meditation has made it into Western society so well is by making it logical. If you just sit and do these steps, you are going to meditate and you're going to feel better. But the truth is like, I I think we've got an emotion and an emotional problem in society. People are not, Able to metabolize emotion as well. Music is the language of emotion. You don't, you know, you you, by using the right tones and frequencies and beats and melodies, you're able to unlock this, you can unlock, you know, emotion for people, basically. And it's 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 what's going on in the heart on an emotional level that I believe is really going to heal people. And I just think no matter how much we go and intellectualize, um, the the practices around healing until someone actually feels what it feels like to have an, you know, that, that unlocking feeling until you feel it, it's very hard to even understand what it is. And music is the absolute most perfect tool to, and you can do it in other ways, of course, but it is the most perfect tool to do it. You know, I always say that every, every subculture that you know, most young people think of themselves as sort of part of some subculture and yeah. every subculture in the world has, ha- has been led by artists. There's been a couple of genres, maybe a few musicians have sat at the helm of this subculture and people look at them. And I just think that this has been ignored i don't it, you know it's it's been the very thing that for thousands of years we've used it's artists of the world's natural healers but today in society for some reason we don't seem to be able to fully utilize and and almost like empower what could be the most perfect healing medium for millions and millions and millions of people. Um, and I'm not quite sure why we haven't done it yet. Um, maybe it's a case of science catching up with humanity <laughs> as with most things. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that we can just start treading in that direction.
0: Yes. That's, that's cool. I'm thinking, I'm thinking also I'm hearing you speak and and it's like this whole, Like the entire, I mean, it's not new, I guess, but it's still like this renaissance of like the trauma therapy, the way that it's like through like the the embodied movement and like, I mean, Mm. Van der Kolk and like Peter Levine and like also Gabor Mate and like all of those sort of pioneers now in in these different, I mean, they would most certainly agree. And you can also see it in all the psychedelic assisted therapy that's sort of popping up through maps and through like all these clinical studies where they show wonderful efficacy just Mm. by, actually living through these emotions and living through whatever got you stuck in the first place. And that is sort of, it seems to be the key to, to really, and and it's not, um, nothing bad about talk therapy. It's very important, I think, probably as part of the healing, but at the same time, there is, is, there's, there are other ways to, to get at this stuff. It seems from the reading Mm. that I'm doing of the research field.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I, you know, I read a book last or maybe two years ago now by, um, Emily Nagoski on burnout and I don't know if you read that book but yeah um and sorry it's by Emily Nagoski and her sister which I actually can't remember her name but the, the book is called burnout and the way but what I remember the most is the way they described the um, the stress cycle and that every emotion needs to have a start a middle and an end you almost the emotion comes up and then it sort of actualizes, but then it needs to have an endpoint. And the endpoint might be you know, I'm angry, so I am punch something. I punch the wall. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the most use. That's not a very, you know, maybe the most healthy way of, but it's like the emotion comes up and then you express it or I'm angry. Let me figure out what I'm angry about. Let me write this down and express this. And then mm. in a healthy manner, maybe bring it up with the person I'm angry with. And then we discuss it. And then the emotion has completed its cycle. So what they say is that this, you know, I, I mean, and they, they gave an amazing example, and I would actually you know encourage anyone listening to read this book because they give some really amazing examples of how this plays out even in the wild with animals as well. But the the what the point that they sort of really the point that landed for me is most of us go around in society because you know of how we live emotions come up but we just we just need to keep most of them down we just don't have that we're not we're not equipped with the tools to properly let every one of those emotions complete its cycle so we're just sitting on a lot of emotions that haven't completed its cycle so then we're when we're in an environment or Somehow find ourselves in an environment where we can express them. You know, maybe we're like, you know, traveling or we go on a some retreat or whatever it is we're able to do. All of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> and it's yeah, finding ways to healthily complete cycles is so important. And it, it made me think of emotional literacy, and actually, there's a lot of research. So there's a lot of research on male suicide, and a lack of emotional literacy is cited as actually one of the biggest problems. So usually just being able to understand and articulate how we're feeling can be 50% of the problem solved. But the problem yeah. is, you know, when we ha- a lot of us haven't grown up teaching children really good emotional literacy and then creating an environment when they where they're able to comfortably express it without stigma without you know and obviously our society hasn't you know we do still have a cultural problem around around all of this but um anyway sorry i could go on uh, but that that's, that's wonderful. In rest of mine
0: it's so it's so important i think what you're pointing to and i and i've been kind of exploring it as a that, that we have a Strange understanding sometimes about what regulation means, like to regulate your emotions. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of us just learned how to suppress. And, and the suppression is exactly what you're saying. So it's about sort of stopping the cycle or, or stopping and making it go away, making the symptom go away. And it's definitely something that I've come aware to in my parenting with regards to what I felt like was a good response for my kids. Like it, when they were a little bit younger and they were in the food store and they had a tantrum, uh, you know, to make the tantrum go away Versus to actually help them regulate and to come back into some sort of harmonic state or whatever. Those are two very very different things. Like if I yell at my kid, they will eventually just shut down, and and you know problem solved maybe or is it you know? So there's like there's a lot of things I think to be said, and it's a really important aspect. I mean, how often do you kind of feel through the whole thing or like allow yourself to feel through the whole thing? And and then like you're pointing to it, you don't have to punch a wall just because you get angry that there are ways to learn but to still feel through the emotion to still complete the cycle so to say so
1: absolutely and i think at that point you know you've really brought up that point of emotional resilience and this is one of this is actually one of the key concepts with the work that i'm doing at spoke and with my team and what we're trying to really what we're trying to promote for people isn't you know do this and then you'll be happy or you'll be calm it's being happy and calm are two emotions out of many emotions that you're going to feel equal amounts of um you know you're going to feel satisfied and gleeful as often as you're going to feel frustrated and lonely and really it's I just believe it's so important to learn how to sit in that window of tolerance and then Slowly, our window of tolerance will widen, widen, and then we cope with, you know, we can tolerate and just deal with stuff that doesn't feel as comfortable a lot easier. And then we can actually enjoy the good stuff. It doesn't feel like we're being taken on a, a kind of roller coaster, which I've certainly felt in the past. Um I think you, I think you mentioned it just before you pressed record, you mentioned um, that as soon as things start to feel good and easy, all of a sudden something comes in and <laughs> um, all of a sudden something comes in and just teaches another lesson. And I don't know why I just suddenly thought of that again, because it is, it, it, it is true. Like we're never, nothing is ever going to be just, Good and fine and easy, like we're always going to be taken on this little roller coaster, and as soon as you know, you're going to be down as much as you're up, and being okay with it all is the you know the emotional resilience that I think it's so important for everyone to to build, just so it doesn't you know send us into a spiral and into crisis, which it still does. No one's perfect, but yeah. you know it's a skill to learn, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and, and also, I mean, with, with the lows comes the highs, if you will, like there is a certain level of, it's nice to feel things. Um, I think, at, at least for me, who's had a, a little bit of a pattern of like disassociating or like stepping away from and just like being kind of fine on the outside. And then on the inside, there's something else that's going on. So speaking of suppression, if you will. Um, it's quite nice to be in touch with those emotions and like also to be able to feel the joy and let the joy come through when, when that's the emotion that wants to come through. Uh, but, but I've, at least for me, it's been a consequence of learning to deal with the more difficult stuff or like the quote unquote bad emotions. Uh, and, and, I don't necessarily think they are bad, but, but that's how I've learned that they are like those are unwanted at least. Um, so, and I want to kind of take us into spoke and, and, uh, the work that you're doing there. So, so what is, um. What is Spoke?
1: Uh, Yes, so it's um, essentially we're a community of artists, creatives based in London at the moment. Um, And our whole mission is, well, our mission is actually to make looking after your mental health as easy as listening to your favourite music. And we do this by creating a new kind of category of sound that is truly impactful and beneficial for your mental health. And the, re- the way we do this is by consulting and working hand in hand with many, many different sort of clinical psychologists, neuroscientists, um, therapists, you know, everything from relationship experts to career experts, you know, functional sound scientists as well and sound therapists and music therapists. So we we kind of take all this impact and knowledge and scientifically backed and the reason why and the thing is there is still a lot out there and and sorry I'm just going to go on a quick caveat for a second there is a lot out there that you know isn't necessarily scientifically backed but it still works and I know it works because I've experienced it myself and however the problem that we've got is you know we're, we're constantly in a state where Science is catching up with what we as humans actually already know. The issue and the reason why I'm making sure that everything we do at Spoke is genuinely scientifically backed. So, we did our first clinical study last year. We're going to be doing a clinical trial over the next couple of years. And this is important because currently, but there, there isn't enough evidence that shows the efficacy of early stage preventative music and art led interventions. And mm. I believe that part of the reason there isn't, you know, enough of these practices and innovations coming out is because there isn't enough research and there isn't enough evidence to prove it. Um, so part of our work, and because we are one of the first movements that is You know, we're aiming to be a massive global movement. We want to work with thousands of artists all over the world. And we know that we can, but we can only do it if we we keep on backing ourselves up by the appropriate evidence as we grow, because otherwise you can't link to healthcare services. You know, and unfortunately you can't be taken as seriously in the world of medicine and healthcare, which is incredibly important for us to do. Right now, there isn't a space... A, a, a genuine set space for artists and musicians to almost fit into the scientific world as genuine key attributors. There isn't, there isn't that space because there's not, there's no evidence, no one's done the research. And um, so that's one thing that I really believe in trying to feel a little bit of that gray area. So that's why things we do are um, evidence backed and, but that, but tr- truthfully, by doing this, we've created a system over the past two years where every artist we work with learns to bake these proven mental health tools into their music, into their lyricism, into the ma- their material. Artists love working with us because of this, because it is a completely different way of working than you would be used to in the music industry. This isn't like writing a new album. This is like um, it, it's a different type of experience as an artist, and it is incredibly empowering because you leave having learned a lot about yourself, about how to make sure you're, if you wanted to create music that's aimed at a mental health audience, you can do that. And the stuff we do actually works. So it's, it is, you know, having a very strong impact and interestingly, and, and sorry, and, importantly it's all on an app so you can type in spoke or spoke music into the app store and it will come straight up it's on android and um, iphone so yeah everything's delivered via via an app but we do lots of live events in london as well we've got a community all over the world so people in 92 countries are using the spoke app at the moment yeah so it's um we're we're slowly kind of growing um, and it's a very exciting journey for us uh, but we're at the, we're still at the beginning, so we still are very small.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm sitting with two parallel questions, and and uh, just uh, you can get to pick your own adventure. I think we will touch on both. But you said something uh, initially around um, reaching subcultures that aren't maybe or like other demographics that aren't normally kind of in 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 this space or like think about where, where it's not okay maybe to explicitly talk about mental health or like to actually address your mental health. So I'd really want to dive deeper into that topic. And then I'm also getting, I'm getting really curious about like what are the components to uh, making music that is um, mentally healthy <laughs> I don't know if you say it that way, but, but um, I'm curious about both of those uh, aspects. I'm thinking we can touch on both, like, but which where, where would you yeah. go?
1: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll start with your first question. Um, okay. so, and, and I mean, it's a, it's actually a remarkably simple one. It's so simple. You might not even be satisfied with the answer, but a belief that we, and I guess, you know, something we're seeing in practice is quite literally mus- musicians and genres of music are these channels to typically much harder to reach demographics. And that's been the case since the beginning of time. Um, You know, really, we and we a lot of our stories are have been have travelled through song. So these old kind of ancient songs that we still know, and they they transfer. It's like emotion has been transferred. This this emotional story has been transferred through hundreds and hundreds of years. And really, we believe that by working with authentically with musicians and within different subcultures and genres we're able to then connect with communities of people that may have never you know learnt these mental health practices before they just may have never even thought about some of the tools that are out there because right now they're just you know they're 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 guarded basically Mm. um so that's sort of, I mean, I, yeah. I don't know if you got, if you wanted to expand on that at all more, but that's our belief around, you know, around subcultures and, yeah, how we can get to communities that.
0: Yeah. No, I think because what I've, I mean, I, I used to be in the, but I was, we, we were doing, you know, pop when I was a, like a teenager, so so I was really <laughs> sort of in the, in the, well, the top echelons maybe. Might be too, but well, I mean, we were pretty sort of, we were the priority act on Universal and, and like we were really doing like proper pop, like boy band music stuff. So it's kind of uncomplicated. But then you see, I mean, with regards to like other types of music, like um, hip hop, like, and, I mean, I'm from Sweden originally and, and there's a huge debate right now about sort of gangster rap or gangster type rap. And, and like there's a lot of violence in that community and, and so forth. And at the same time, you see those types of, genres being extremely important for a lot of young men, I think, uh, primarily maybe, but then then also, I mean, but but people from different parts of society, other parts of realities, other realities that people don't normally get to see or look into for them mm-hmm. to metabolize whatever reality they're living through. Uh, like somebody that understands or sees or lives the same reality that has the same type of trouble that, that might be dealing with drugs or violence or, or all these different Ways that that um, you would be exposed to um, really difficult or tricky uh, situations in your life. Um, so I'm, I'm just very, I don't know what the question is. I think the question is maybe like around, there's something really intense and, and felt that is possible through music um, with regards to, feeling into what someone else is going through or like really accepting the transmission of what's coming through in the lyrics and in the music and just in the beats, um, which is beyond, I think, what we sometimes accept. And I think you already spoke to it with regards to what you're doing with backing it up with science to kind of move the pin for things that we already know, because I think this is what musicians do. They metabolize their emotions through, um, through their art. Um, and at the same time, I'm, I'm just, it's such an important thing to realize that there are so many worlds going on at the same time. And like this, the mainstream story or the story that we get through a specific type of channel isn't the whole thing. So I guess it's just words um, to add to the whole thing. I don't yeah,
1: know. no, no. I mean, I com- I completely, I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent, you know, a hundred percent right, of course. And I think maybe to put a couple of words that a couple of words I use quite a lot onto as a bit of a structure to what you said, you know, and, and I, I actually did my master's dissertation on exactly this, the idea that artists are a microcosm of their communities. So really, your, you know, the, the, the feelings that an artist is going through, the, the words that they write in their lyrics, the stories that they tell, there is a really strong chance and I mean, it's hardly ever the case otherwise, but it's a very strong chance that the people, the majority of their audience are going to have gone through a similar story, are going to be feeling the same things. If an artist is, you know, feeling angry and they're, they're angry at something that's going on in society, there's, you know, they're expressing the anger through their music. The people that are listening to their music are people who are probably feeling the anger as well and i think instead of as a society we're like oh, angry music oh no you know it's now promoting violence it's like it's 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 the theory of resonance you you so you've actually instead of i think instead of a government saying oh no this music is now promoting violence it's like oh thank goodness we have this music because now we know who the people are that are most likely to be you know, um, feeling angry, or are more likely to be, you know, exhibiting violence in society. Thank goodness we now can find these people because how would you have found them beforehand? You know, they're going to be—they're completely hidden. So I just—and once again, it comes back to the the idea of these channels. It's like if we can really understand this channel between the artist and the audience then we start to see, okay, so this artist is very likely to attract people who are going to be feeling depression or going to be feeling, you know, anger or going to be more likely to be, you know, involved in gang violence or gang crime. Maybe we can find a way to really work with this artist or to be in the spaces where, you know, let's let authentically find a way to help and, you know, optimise this channel as much as possible. Um, and, and authenticity is so, so, so key. Um, so, you know, back to kind of what we're doing at Spoke, one of the challenges that we say to artists all the time is your challenge now as an artist is to keep to your authentic voice. If you wouldn't be happy with this being on your album or this being, then we don't want to do it. You know, what you're here to help serve this purpose. You know, maybe your chosen theme is uh, family and relationships. So you're going to be helping people with, you know, these kinds of feelings and emotions. Here are a few tools that might help you. Um, Your challenge now is to essentially... To retranslate this. Forget everything you've ever heard before in the meditation, mindfulness, wellness space. Forget it. Pretend like you've never ever heard it and just write as if this is your your own thing. And because of that, we've started to create music that is yeah, it's it's pure artistry, but it just has that um addition. And maybe maybe I'm stepping into your second question now. <laughs> which is how, yeah, it's sort of like how we actually do this. And I mean, this is a process we've built over the past, yeah, sort of 24 months. So it's a very, very deep process. We've got a very deep database of thousands and thousands and thousands of different tools. So it's all areas of, you know, psychotherapy, um, counselling, you know, uh, neuroscience, positive psychology, CBT, uh, therapeutic practices, breathwork, you know, everything, mindfulness, you name it. So we've got this database of thousands and thousands and thousands of tools. And as an artist, when you work with us, basically what you would do would be completely different from somebody else, but you would be working with us to help people with a theme that you feel really passionate about yourself. So maybe it's addiction or maybe it's um, relationships and love Um, and you'll essentially learn some tools and then you will decide yourself how to represent these tools in and amongst your own storytelling and your own kind of artistry. And then, yeah, then we create music from the regular way. So sit in the studio, create, um, it's, it's a free flowing, you know, you know, that kind of
0: Mm -hmm.
1: ambient environment, which is amazing. Um, And then there's a little bit of a review period as well. So um, some of our psychologists will very briefly review lyrics. And so interestingly, when we started and the, 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 And I guess maybe I can give one example. Um, There's plenty of examples, but there is a difference between sharing a story and helping somebody cope with their own emotions that might be related to a similar story. So I'll just give Mm. you an example. Let's say I was trying to, I'm an artist, I'm trying to help someone with grief, but then I tell a story about my own grief and um I I sort of, and and the way you would do when you're doing art, you would tell a story and it would be emotive, and you will kind of go into detail about what you are grieving and the feelings and you do it however you want. Now, unfortunately, there are some examples of doing that, that would not necessarily be healing to the listener. They might actually make it worse for the listener. So uh, that's just one example of many, but that's why we have a sort of, a, there, there is a way in spoke that we discuss themes that is not going to re-trigger the listener. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's about holding some stuff back. So it might be about not sharing certain things that might feel a bit you know, pointed or might you know, bring up emotions for the listener that they weren't here to solve and also, and it, and it's complex though. So there's, there's stages of healing. There's the resonance stage where you just, you just want to listen to something that is the same as you, what you're feeling. I, I'm heartbroken. You know, mm-hmm. I want to listen to something. I want to cry. You know, I want to listen to something. I want to listen to someone telling me about their heartbreak. I want to sit there and cry for a day, five days. But two weeks later, I don't want to. I don't want to listen to that anymore. I, I need to listen to something that's going to start pulling me out a little bit, bringing me out of that feeling, helping me move a little bit more. And then maybe another two weeks later, I'll listen to something about you know what I, how I'm confident and I've learned and I'm strong and I'm this and I'm that. And so there's almost like all these different complexities and layers of healing, and it depends what stage you're in of what theme. Um, and then that dictates what type of language we'd use, what type of sounds and melodies we will use. Um, and yeah, I guess maybe creativity is a really nice one to talk about. I don't know. Have you read a book called Bittersweet by any chance? No. Oh, I would really recommend it. It's a really beautiful book and I feel bad that I've actually forgot her name. She's a She's an incredible scientist, but um, so bit, the book is called Bittersweet. If you type it in, you'll, you'll find it. She, the book's all about the emotion of melancholy and actually how this melancholic feeling is such an important feeling to be in. And it's not, depre- it's not depression, you know, depression is very different. It's a, a kind of a state of passive introspection. You know, you're sort of reflective, you're not happy. You're actually sort of feeling like you really want to be on your own and you're, you know, it's it's melancholic. It's And the interesting, something interesting that she mentions in the book is in your playlist on whatever music platform you use, your, your happy music, any of your happy songs, you're going to listen to on average about 154 times any of your melancholic songs you're going to listen to on average about 800 times. And it's because that feeling of melancholy is actually a really key component to human healing, creativity. A lot of creativity comes out of feelings of melancholy and of introspection. And I think what I love about her work and this book is she's like, we don't realise how important that is. We're constantly mm-hmm. trying to feel happy and up- uplifted and yeah, like, let's go. But, you know, really the best art in the world and the best things in the world have come out of this feeling that we wouldn't, act- we wouldn't say is happy, quote unquote. Um, and, I just, and I just love that. So that's, that's another area of evidence and, you know, beautiful research that we use in a lot of our work with Spoke. Um, and, and I'll mention as well pra- mystic practices like Sufism as an example you'll listen you'll hear the music it's melancholic it's like this eerie word I mean if you listen to even like the the call to prayer and you listen to some of the Judaic um, mystical practices the music that they use is so beautiful but it's eerie it's melancholic mm-hmm. and it kind of almost like it almost, I always imagine it, it pulling like a thread out of my heart, like a, a wispy little thread out of my heart that I, I follow. Um, and I, I just really love that whole concept and that whole idea that, you know, we just, I don't think we talk about enough and that's why I'm I'm very grateful for, for this book, which I, I would recommend.
0: <laughs> that's okay. There's a lot. Um, but <laughs> speaking to the melancholy, uh, I mean, I think for me, the way that I felt into it when you were speaking to it. It's like there's an ambivalence to it almost that I can kind of, I can kind of color it. Like melancholy can be on sort of, there's a, there's a spectrum of melancholy. It could be on the sad side. It could be on the, so it's mm. it, like there's a, there's a way for me to relate to it depending on where I'm coming at it from. And it doesn't presuppose, it doesn't push me into a specific thing. It doesn't have a lot of opinion about what I need to feel about it, but rather it's an openness for me to kind of tint it in, in the right way for where I'm at at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. apparently that wanted to be. And there's also, I've been, we've been doing the Netflix thing uh, recently. And so I watched both the documentary with uh, Louise Capaldi and also with Ed Sheeran now. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of sort of melancholy and, and that type of sort of heartfelt, um, and I don't know sort of how that would fit into your research or, or it doesn't have anything to do with, with the service. But I, I think it's very interesting to see um, how they are sharing the the level of vulnerability that both of them have, how they speak about their own journeys and, and like their own challenges and so forth. And, and like with, mm-hmm. with, I mean, in the insurance case, the loss of a really dear friend in the middle of, of like really intense times. And so it is very, I mean, there's a lot there. Like the, of course there's a relatability, but, but I really, it caught me in what you were saying that there are ways of actually sticking people maybe in, in, in stages and that, that it's not necessarily helpful or like that will like help them propel Mm -hmm. forward. And like, there's a, there's a direction to the work that I hadn't really thought about that aspect that you could also, I guess, reinforce, um, whatever's happening through, through, uh, through music, if you will.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, if you even think about all of the psychedelic practices you touched on earlier and the ritual and the ceremony around that, it's the music, you know, it's so, I mean, there's needless to say, I'm sure a lot of people listening know a lot about this world, but there's, it's the ceremony and the, the the healing practice does not make sense without the music. And then if you listen to the music that is attributed to these ceremonies of healing it is melancholic. It's got that sort of emotion and it takes you on that emotional journey. Um, And I've listened to all of the playlists that Imperial have created from their psychedelic research. And you can listen to them. They've just, they've put them on, um, on Spotify. Um, Mm -hmm. And even if, you know, the, the types of songs that people will play during these ceremonies, it's, yeah, it's melancholic and it, unlocks emotion and it takes you on an emotional journey but it doesn't tell you what your emotion should be and that's why there's no word it doesn't say you know now you're going to be it it's the kind of sound that isn't like I love what you said it's kind of that fine line of it could be it could be it could be happy it could be sad like it really depends on what where you're coming from you're going to interpret it in your own way and I think that's the kind of power of um yeah that's the power of a lot of this music and i mean we use so and so all of this there is research around this now as to what types of sounds you know on a very very simple level our heart rate will mimic the bpm you know let's say i'm feeling really anxious and i start listening to music that sort of mimics my heart rate it's kind of a bit faster and then it slowly, slowly over the space of 10, 15 minutes, slowly slows down, slowly becomes more ambient. My heart rate will start to mimic that. I mean, you know. Oh, of course. Yeah. And it's like, of yeah. course it does. You know, this is what we've done since the beginning of time. We're sitting around a fire playing music, and slowly the musician will take everyone from one state into another. Of course, like oh. it's obvious any artist knows this intuitively um but you know this is one of the things that is now because it's now kind of written in science in in peer-reviewed research papers um uh, you know it's there's and there's so many other there are so many other kind of theories and fascinating
0: yeah because oh god we've been i've been on um I've been fortunate enough to be holding a space for for artists um, in different modalities, uh, but uh, over the past year or so, and we've been looking at what um, not as rigorously as you have, obviously, but but nonetheless, the question was around how do you use or how do you work with art in transformative spaces? so with with on the one end, where it can become manipulative, where where we felt like there's a there's a way to use art to open people up and then push them into a pre-drawn conclusion where we're actually moving people, which I think is very problematic um, because I'm seeing a lot of that in in a lot of spaces where people are convinced about what they're doing is so good. And then you kind of force people or not force, but you, you pull them into something uh, which I think is manipulation on the other Mm -hmm. end. um, How do we put it to use so that people can kind of open up to these things and really fully feel to it. And I think one of the main conclusions that we had was that art has, let's say two components to it at, at, At the baseline, and one part is a different way of seeing the world, which is kind of the what I heard you speak to with the subcultures as well. Like if we look at the art that's coming up, that is popular, that is being picked up, it isn't necessarily that it's causing something, but it's rather an effect of something. So we can look at it as information about how the society moves. It is an invitation for us to also see other perspectives that we might or might not have access to. And like if we take it seriously and, and spend some time with it, then we can actually maybe understand something about. Ourselves and the world that we didn't know, uh, perhaps. So it's like a different way of seeing the world. But then there's the other component about um, moving people, like a, a transportation. It's like a, an artist when you have that relationship, when you're in that live space that you were speaking to before, um, and and you let the, you, you allow yourself to surrender to wherever the musician's going, and you just let the person take you somewhere. Um, one of my vocal coaches was used to say, like, I, I don't care what you can do. I don't care what you can do. It's just about how far can you take me? And, and that I think is like also like a really nice essence for what it seems like you're working with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's really beautiful. Um, yeah. That's really beautiful. I love that because that's the thing, you know, artists are na- the world's natural healers by default and that, that concept, I, and I love what your vocal coach, you know, I love that saying or (laughs) um how far can you take me because it's true you know it doesn't matter what anyone can do if in your own way you can pull something out of me and help me help me reconnect to myself basically that's the true that's the true kind of art and the true skill it's helping me witness myself and feel something myself and yeah some and yes yeah, stand and look at myself in the mirror and 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 see an emotion for what it is and and be like and and ultimately you you know you want to help people feel like that feeling of ah that's what that's what was going on now i now i get it oh gosh thank goodness you know yeah. so i think that's the uh, the moment of clarity helping people um come out of the numbness because we numb ourselves, you know, we're all we're all slightly numb, living in cities which are essentially scabs, <laughs> crusts on on the earth, you know, very quite disconnected from you know our like human biology, um, and we're we're just a little bit, we're all just a little bit numbed out, really, yeah. and so anything that we can do to help people sh- dig past the numbness and feel a little bit more of ourselves that's that's why people go on these healing retreats it's not to be this or be that it's to just be myself again just feel okay i'm back to being me um but
0: there's a question around that though of which i'm hmm. like genuinely holding um because there is um i mean i think it's gabromata that says something like uh maybe the state of mental health in the world is a healthy response to a sick system. Um, mm-hmm. so, so like maybe this is actually a coping strategy that is um, that makes sense given the environment that we are in. Um, and that's, that's where I get curious about <laughs> some of the work that, cause I'm, I mean, not in the same way, but we're involved in similar work with like bringing more engagement and more connection and more openness and more authenticity into the workplace. And I'm curious about sort of, sometimes I'm like, am, am I really serving people here? Like is, are the coping, like, is there intelligence to the coping strategies? Like the fact that you aren't feeling more, I feel it now, like moving to Reykjavik, which is a really small, coherent community with lots of space, lots of nature. Um, it's very interesting. And then I moved to, I was in Paris the other week and I was in Stockholm and, and like in, in the moving around in those cities, which are much more people and like in the in the public transport or whatever um there is a certain feeling of overwhelm now that i've settled in a different pace and in a different uh so i'm wondering that openness um versus sort of the the how good it is for my for my mental health like it does also, it has consequences in how i fit into the world so to say and and some of the world i'm i'm for me, myself, I'm opting out of at the moment as a result of my, let's say, inner journey, and some But I'm curious about that tension between um, feeling better than "quote unquote" or, or versus. Um, I don't know. Do you get what I'm gesturing at? Yeah,
1: I completely understand what you're gesturing at, and what. So I'm a massive fan of Gabor Mate's work, and what he and i've listened to exactly the the i think it might have been in a podcast or a video that he mentioned I- exactly that we are there's, there's there's no doubt that we are responding in a way that makes sense for our human form basically quite primitive human brains still our brains have not been able to keep up when we're, we're, you know we're not be able, we're not able to keep up with this fast pace of technology and all of this. So we're we're coping as best as we can. And it's no wonder there's a mental health problem. There's no wonder there's so much burnout and anxiety. And I think about it in, there's like three, there's different layers of solving this problem. There's, I I do think it's very important to, because, and, and sorry, maybe as a caveat, because we live, and if you're listening to it, if you're in the West, we're individualist societies. And because we're individualist in nearly most aspects, we then blame ourselves. So it's like, it's, and so it's very easy to then create solutions and sell solutions that are like, you're sad and depressed. It's your, it's because you've not dealt with your own problems. So you mm-hmm. better heal and you better learn and you better buy my product so you can feel better. That's what, we, that's what, that's what people are doing in the West. And it's because we're in an individualist society, it's, you know, that's a very easy story to believe. Societies, um, you know, we've just as a, you know, really interestingly, our development team are in India. And I remember speaking to them about whether an app like what we're doing would work there. And they were like, Mm, no we don't have anything like this we've got we've got (laughs) so much stimulus like that we've got so much music and so much entertainment and so much stimulus it would be impossible to cut through the noise anyway but also you know we're a little bit more we're so much more integrated as a society we're just a bit less likely to truly believe that my problems are just my own we're more likely and I think there are a lot of communities in the world that would share that and so it's it's this classic divide between east and west um so I think that's the first thing for people to truly realize that the biggest parts of our anxiety is you know crippling house prices if you're in like England or the US especially Mm -hmm. um you know political turmoil no idea about you know What your future is going to hold? Zero certainty about your job prospects. You know, just as an example, you know, housing in the UK. I mean, the richest people in the UK have made basically made most of their money through owning land and owning property. Something crazy like ten percent of all property in London is empty because people just buy it as investment and then leave it. I mean, it's a that should be a criminal offence. (laughs) it's completely unbelievable that, you know, and yeah, we live in a capitalist system. And in the UK, it's, it looks like it's getting worse. But, you know, having a safe roof over your head is Mm -hmm. as important as drinking water you know and the fact that people have no safety around that you know they are then they have no idea if their rent is going to double next year and all of a sudden they've got nowhere to live with their family you know and you spend normally at least 50% of your wages on your home and people think that's wow. normal so it's like you know that and and so so forget all the stuff about personal development about this and that if we solve that problem then we've suddenly solved a lot of anxiety for a lot of people and that has to happen at government le- level that has to happen through protests and campaigning that it, you, we we need the right people in government to start making serious radical policy changes you know and looking at our system i, I can't see when that's going to happen but so so what i'm trying to say is you know, there, there are different levels. There's sort of, there's, there's this thing going on. And I think it's important for people to understand that because then when you understand the forces the same with emotional literacy and having awareness, if you understand the forces that are quite literally yanking you, (laughs) you know, around and controlling your life, we are all of our lives are pretty much controlled by our society, our environment, our governments. And the first thing is just understanding that. Okay, great. Now I understand it. So now I know what political party to start supporting. Now I know what I can do. Okay. There's not much more we can do than that, unfortunately, apart from having awareness doing what we can, unless we want to go into government and become an MP, which, you know
0: (laughs) very much (laughs) that's
1: a different task and a lot of respect for whoever. I mean Marianne Williamson, who I absolutely love over in California and her work and she's kind of going, you know I mean, amazing, but I wouldn't wish that type of stress on my worst enemy. It's horrific. And then a few layers down, it's like, okay, well, what can I do right now? Right now, I'm just feeling in this way. How do I just get a little bit more in control of this? And the best way to get in control of anything is by understanding the landscape of it and understanding it as much as possible and building that awareness and then building new narratives and stories. And I just think the biggest problem is that most people don't unders- have not, you know, there's, there's, a, a, there's a lack of sharing awareness with a lot of people. And it's as big as, you know, what's going on in government with our housing situation all the way to literally not teaching children emotional literacy at school and how to express their emotions healthily. Um, So it's kind of – and there's loads of different layers in between. And I think the only way we're actually going to solve this mental health problem is by doing all of it. And it's like a network. It's a network effect of change. Different people are going to focus on different areas and we all need to work together to – Make that shift over time, nobody can work in tandem, basically you know um so that's that's kind of a big part of my belief around that that problem yeah, I
0: really like what you're saying because it's it is i mean I'm just looking at my own journey as well like the the some the tools for regulation and <clears throat> finding ways to actually regulate uh, my emotions when they pop up has been extremely important in order to be able to gonna keep looking at certain things or stay with the trouble um, as as if you will and so forth and also not look away but to actually love and understand what's going on. Like however crazy it seems, there is a reason for it being like this. And I don't think we need to move beyond sort of simple solutions in order to have enough attention span to understand what a solution or what a a way to address the the an issue might be. Um you, you're going to have to spend time with it, and then, of course, like these types of tools are extremely important. So I really, I really appreciate that, and I like that you bring in the systemic aspects. I mean, because it is so important to. We're not going to solve these problems on our own by just sitting on a pillow somewhere or listening to music or whatever. But it is going to change how we relate to the world, and in that changing in how it relates to it, um, you know, we might there might be other things that become possible for us. And then, I mean, the other aspect that I would point to, um, as well as to to start understanding how our cognition works, like, and the fact that like the Lisa Feldman Barrett's work around emotions, that it's not a, a sort of a stimulated response thing. It's not a predetermined thing, how you feel about something that happens around you. It is it is something that you can, can actually learn and relearn and and mold and adapt, depending on how you actually respond in each moment. And then... Tools like Spoke, I think, is extremely important uh, to to start opening up the possibility space of like different emotions occurring, like that creating that ambiguity that you described with the melancholy, if you will, uh, in in your like response, and, and start like having other options when something happens, and, and uh, yeah, maybe move in a different way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely.
0: I, yeah, I really love the the approach that you're taking to this, though. I just really wanted to, because I, I was so, I've been thinking about that aspect of like how exclusive a lot of the work is and how cognitive and how verbal a lot of the stuff is. So speaking like both as a dancer, as an embodied person, how important it's been for me to find like ways of, of moving and dancing and working with my body into understanding these things. And I know what music does to people. And so I'm just, uh, I'm so happy that Spoke is around, uh, and, and are doing this work.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's definitely an exciting journey. We're definitely, you know, we're hopefully we are, we are one part of a whole network of people trying to create this change in different ways. Um, and yeah, I'm under no illusion that we are going to solve it ourselves and, and I'm under no illusion we're going to solve it in the next two years. You know, this is we need to take quite a long term view of this. But the more people like us that can connect and share ideas and, you know, collaborate on different levels even if it's just talking, um, the better the better things are gonna be. So I, I really appreciate you inviting me to be on this podcast and discuss with you. And I've I've really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Also wanted to um so just to open it up a little bit, like two two questions again, because apparently that's what I do today. Uh, ask two questions <laughs> yeah, at once. Uh, one part would be what's next uh for spoke and then the second thing is, if people want to get involved or support or uh, you know whatever, um, what what do you need?
1: So, what's next is we plan over the next year to really do a lot of work with communities across the UK um, and in Europe as well. So every every community we move into we move we work authentically with the artists who are on the ground so it's it's this isn't like a kind of quick thing let's do a marketing campaign in this city this is let's see who are the most talented connected you know incredible artists in this region let's work really authentically with them and then let's move into this you know whether it's city or landscape, and let's do something incredible. So that's sort of what we plan for the next year, year and a half. Um, And, you know, my team are from all different parts of the world as well. So we're all equally passionate. You know, I'm half Persian. So I'm very passionate about doing stuff in the Middle East. Um, our lead artist and one of my founding teams, Nigerian. So he's very passionate about doing stuff in Africa, and we actually have a very big African audience anyway. So there's so so much that we want to do over the next maybe five six years. So that's and and I guess maybe a note on that is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna mention one last piece of theory around um, kind of emotional connection. So it's been found that even if you haven't heard this instrument much in your life, but instruments that are connected to your ancestry and your heritage, you respond to in a different way than somebody who um, might have been brought up in somewhere completely other part of the world, world, or their parents are from some complete other part of the world. So we, we're almost it's almost in our DNA the connection to music from our heritage, the types of instruments that were traditionally used for hundreds of years, you know, in your ancestry line. So how amazing is that, that, you know, you will respond in ways to certain instruments and certain sounds depending on your biological genetic makeup. That is how connected human DNA is to music and it is just absolutely fascinating so that's why I'm very passionate about working with artists all over the world and helping people connect to a part of themselves that they may or may not even realize is there and it's just you know it's 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 beautiful to even think about the kind of work we can do in the next five six years um
0: and I just need to Sorry, but um, I, mean, it's, I haven't it's, it's an n of one and it's completely empirical, but it's like I, I mean I, my father's from India, and yeah, yeah. Uh, my my younger daughter do- or my older daughter she uh, at some point she was watching some cartoon and she heard the sitar and mm-hmm. and she was like, yeah. "I need to play this instrument, and she's going to start taking <gasps> lessons in the, <laughs> in the summer she's seven it's way too early, and so forth. but we found a guy here in Iceland that does the whole thing, and it's just hilarious, but when you said that, I was just like, oh ha huh, yeah that makes sense absolutely makes sense because there was a resonance there that she was just like and she hasn't mm. stopped talking about it it was like three years ago and it's just it's crazy okay sorry go um, ahead I had to that, to that is yeah.
1: that's truly that's truly amazing I'm so I love I just love I love hearing that thank you for sharing that <laughs> <laughs> Um Oh wow! Well, I'm I'm really intrigued. I'd love to see how she does with it. Uh, Maybe in yeah a few years' time, she'll be yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm curious. I'm very curious indeed.
1: Oh, that's that's beautiful, and I love the sitar. It's a really I yeah I really resonate with that instrument as well. It's beautiful. Um, Yeah. Speaking of melancholy,
0: right? I mean, exactly.
1: (laughs) Oh, exactly. It's a stunning instrument, and we don't use it enough. In we don't really use it much at all in the West. So. yeah that's great that's lovely to hear thank you um and and yeah so to 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 keep up with Spoke and to learn more about us i guess i guess the best thing really is to have the app if you've got a smartphone um you know you can type in spoke or spoke world into your app store and get the app um and then anybody that's on the app is going to be informed of Mm -hmm releases and new information and events and stuff like that and then obviously we're on we're on socials all socials as well so we're spoke world on everything
0: cool i'll provide the links for that thank you so much for taking the time mariana this is uh, wonderful and uh, thanks for the work you're doing
1: yeah thank you thank you for your work as well and um, thanks for the conversation it's been
0: great